1: Hey, church planner. This is Pete Mitchell,
2: and this is Peyton Jones
1: coming to you for a uh, acapella version of the church planner podcast.
2: Yeah, who do we do first, Pete? Is it Batman?
1: I think it is Batman.
2: All right. Okay, you ready? What I, does I, Batman I
1: mean, say? I don't even remember what it is. Oh, okay. I remember. You, you're gonna. I, do I'll it? do
2: it. No, I'm Batman. All all right, you're Robin. Batman. Let's do it. do it. Go for it. All right. All right. Um, church planner podcast. It's not the podcast that planners deserve, but the podcast they need. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I actually think you sounded more like Batman than uh, even our sound effect. Thank you. Thank you. Like the longer I, that I went mean, out. I, was I like, am Batman. I was like, wow, that's thats actually pretty good. I kind of like that.
2: <laughs> I'd be happy to do Batman anytime, any show, anytime, anywhere, any place. I showed you the
1: the stamps that I just bought. I just bought $300 worth of uh, Batman
2: stamps. $300? I do a lot of mail. I pretty much bought 10% of the same exact stamp. I bought $30 (laughs) worth of the Batman stamp. (laughs) Just a few less than me. I thought I was splashing out. I'm like, whoa, fancy dancy, thirty dollars worth of stamps? You go, big spender.
1: I actually have uh, at Christmas. I bought an extra three hundred holiday stamps because oh, wow. I'm planning on doing a special promotion in July, and I'm going to call it "It's Christmas in July." And I'm mailing it all <laughs> out with Christmas stamps. See, that's proper marketing. You got to think ahead. Yeah,
2: baby.
0: I'm
1: thinking Absolutely. ahead, baby. We're, we're I'm nowhere near July, but I've got my mail piece ready to go.
2: All right, church planner. So start planning your Christmas outreach now.
1: Actually, they should. I mean, they as should. church planners, when's Easter? By the way, when's that coming up?
2: Uh it's coming up in April. Is
1: it in April? <laughs> I, yeah, I, could, I can't remember when it is.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's early this year. I think it's early every year.
1: I'm uh, I'm kind of glad that you're back in the land of the living because you were uh,
2: you were out of pocket for a couple of weeks. <laughs> Yeah, man. I was I was all over the place. And then I got stuck in an airport for three days with my kids. And it wasn't like where they 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 go, oh, you know, you show up at the airport and they're like, oh, flight's canceled. They check you in, they send you to the gate, delay, 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 nope, canceled. And then they go, Oh, go back down. So everyone shuffles back through, goes back to the ticket counter. Uh, signs up again for another flight, shuffle back through security, wait, 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 delay, 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 nope, canceled for three stinking days. The only reason I got home was because when we got to Atlanta, I turned around to the lady at the the check-in desk on the flight I was getting off of and said, ma'am, is there anything going to California at all? I will make my way to any airport. Just get me out of here. And she goes, well, there's one to San Diego tonight. And I go what? That, like everybody's told me there's not. She's like, oh, there is, and there's um. Let me see, 80 seats on the plane, and I was like, whoa. So we took a red eye home. But uh, what cancel, was brilliant is like, there there my many
1: kids. Open and they didn't cancel.
2: Yeah, and and my kids slept on the plane, which for my girl whose special needs was pretty cool. Because on the way over, uh, I I I had downloaded onto my iPads Milo and Otis now my daughter can't talk she can make lots of noises so the whole trip she's seeing it's a story about the journey of a of a pug and a kitten and they, they you know get into all kinds of hijinks now but anyways they um they, they uh they make this journey and it's all these animals that they're interacting with and it's kind of like babe where it's like you know it's like they're talking and stuff and she's screaming like she's just making glee noises they've like crammed us to the very back of the plane near the bathrooms i guess cuz they figure we're loud and we stink we're not going to be sleeping so anyways but she's screaming like ah anytime something's happened she's just this ear splitting thing and uh no no one no one gave us a hard time you know but she was uh, we were feeling bad like man but she's happy she could either be screaming uh in in pain or discomfort but No, these are screams of Glee airplane, just so you know. You can all rest now. But uh, in the airport, just the funny thing is when we were stranded for those days, they made the mistake of leaving the piano out in front of this one cafe every every single day. And my kids, man, were like, it was like Liberace time. And it was so stinking funny because I think they might have actually made up that flight just to get us the heck out of the airport.
1: (laughs) I don't know why you just don't fly uh private like I do.
2: Oh yeah, man. You know, I've been, I've been applying to TBN for a position. I think pretty soon I'm going to get my gold plated jet.
1: I You know, just, uh
2: just, you know, I've got a couple of buddies who got G fours and you know. Oh, and just because I'm paranoid. And if you listen to the thing on jump school, let me just say, I am not prosperity or faith movement. I did call them false teachers. I got on and I'm like, Hey Pete, you know, and, when I got stranded and we put that episode on of Jump School sharing it with everybody, I'm like, you know, I went back and listened to it. And and what I said on it, we didn't get any feedback. I mean, no one gave us any negative. No one said a word, but it's just my paranoia because that stuff does so much damage. But I had mentioned on there that, uh, you know, the prosperity, that, that there are places in the scripture where it says God will prosper you. But obviously, when you make a rule out of that, um, God did prosper people and he did make some promises to prosper people. Um, but you know, you make a rule, it's false teaching. And, uh, so I'm just saying that to cover my own behind, you know what I'm saying?
1: I do because you were actually really worried about that after, uh, after you, you and I started talking this morning,
2: you're like, absolutely. Well, because someone could take a sound bite out of that. Hey, there's some ideas and, uh, Hey, check out what Peyton Jones said. And, uh, it's not said in context. So I'm just saying this, you know.
1: You know, but here's the thing, Peyton. I think if they went and listened to all 126 hours of our podcast, they could easily (laughs) come up with, I don't know, at least an hour's worth of sound bites for either one of us that make us look foolish, stupid, or
2: um, just crazy. Wait a second. Wait a second.
1: I'm just throwing that out there.
2: Okay, we have a hundred and twenty-five hours. I I think for you to say that they could only find one hour of us saying I said stuff, at least a bare minimum. No, no that's hour. even that's that's like you can't even pick that up on the microscope of, of what we're talking. No, man, you're like talking like thirty hours at least a third of what we say, right? <laughs> I think the funniest line to me was
1: Eric Kirkoff when uh, he he came up to me at church a couple of weeks ago and he goes, "Yeah." I just decided I'd listen to your podcast, and I think it was the one on like the business side of church. The, I think it was the one where Mike Niels said I—I uh, I could tell by the title <laughs> that the smack talk was going to be epic because of what we were talking about as the substance part of the episode. And so yeah. Eric Kirk, I think that was the one where he was like, "I just decided to listen to it." And all it was, was the smack talk for like a half hour. I could have walked away and come back a half hour later to finally get something. I thought I was going to be fed. I'm like, yeah, you don't listen to the podcast very often, do you?
2: Yeah. It was funny. Cause he did tell me, he called me up and he's like, man, I laughed my butt off on that thing. And uh, so, yeah. So, Hey, so our, our topic first off before, okay. I do have smack talk. We, we, we thought that we didn't have smack talk. I do. Okay. So we said the last time you and I were recording together, we said that when we came back, we we're going to hit the 10 things that the younger generation doesn't know about, but they need to, right? Remember that?
1: Sure, I do. I do.
2: Yeah. So, so because they're too young, they had the misfortune of being born a little bit later than you and me, Pete. There are certain things that they do not know about. Certain TV shows, certain, just certain things they got to know.
1: I, um, I think there's a lot. There's, there's actually a lot. I, I you know, really the eighties was perhaps the greatest decade the world. Absolutely. Has ever uh, the nineties, nothing like it. The two thousands, nothing. Now that we're in the tens, which is just a horrible way to
2: denote your decade.
1: Oh, I was born. This is, in the, this
2: is the, the thing though. Right. But this is the thing. Like you guys have no idea. Like the sixties, it was all about like social change. The 70s was all about licentious living, but the 80s was like, what the heck? You know, like all of a sudden, like, like you had guys in the 70s like the Eagles, you know, guys with long-haired hippies and the old militant 50s men were like, oh, you hippies cut your hair. No big deal, right? But when you hit the 80s, you started hitting things like Prince, Boy George. Pop culture went nuts, and it was so stinging fun because like today, if you do any of that crap, like, you know, if any anyone can do anything nowadays, and it doesn't make a splash, right? Um, What's-her-face can do the wrecking ball and stick her tongue out, you know, and uh, whatever, and people are like, oh, you're stupid. Back then, it was like, it was such a countercultural shift that people, you know, record companies, people were just being nuts, man. Um, the 80s is when the Monty Python movies started to be made. Um, actually late seventies, but it was, it was, it was the spirit of the eighties, but it was all going nuts, man. It was awesome.
1: It was. And I miss the eighties. So what are, what are your 10 things?
2: Well, I think we need to do them in alternating order. Okay. And, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, I, I, most of mine have to do with Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> all
1: right, I'll start it. My, uh, my number 10. Is Night Rider? Oh yeah! Woo. I mean, people don't understand that David Hasselhoff existed before Baywatch, which I'm not even sure they know what Baywatch is because that would have been like early '90s.
2: Yeah, dude, Night Rider was such an awesome thing. His car was alive, and it it had the flashing red light like the Cylons. Remember the like the old yep. Cylons when they had that? Yep.
1: Yeah, and um, it, remember it had that special coated shell. So it was bulletproof. It was dent resistant. Yeah. It could go through walls. Uh, he had turbo boost. Remember his gas pedal with the lights on the gas pedal? Yeah. So he had his foot down and all of a sudden the lights would shoot up. You know, Kit Knight Rider it was the name of the car. It could talk.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, KITT.
1: KITT, which stood for Knight Industries 2000. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, Michael Knight. I actually uh, plan on starting a nonprofit that I'm going to call Flag. The Foundation for Law and Government. So, if your church ever gets a donation from Flag, the Foundation for Law and Government, know that's my hidden nonprofit foundation. Yeah, yeah. Just,
2: throw oh, it I there. like it. I like it. And, and here's the awesome thing is like he would talk into his watch and he'd be like, Kit, I'm in danger. That's and the, why the, the car, smart
1: watches have gotten me so yeah. excited and yet let down at the same time because I can't talk to my car.
2: Exactly. And, and the car would talk back. He'd like, Michael there are two perpetrators on the roof right next to you. And like Kit could like sense infrared. So like people be run. There are two armed men to your left. And he'd like run around the building. It was so freaking cool. And then they had like, you remember the special? Cause I was in sixth grade when that thing happened and he went off against the diesel, the robotic diesel oh, truck. With
1: yeah. His, which they coded with the
2: same shell
1: that made it bulletproof and impenetrable. And so Knight yeah. Rider hit him and Knight Rider got trashed. I mean, yep. Totally try And they're out there in the desert. He like pulls out a manual. Okay, kid, I'm going to fix you (laughs) like with the manual (laughs) and every mechanic that worked on it until like the very last season was uh, the hot chick. That was the hot chick on the show It was always like, you know, April, April's going to fix Knight Rider. And, you know, I forgot about that. And the truck, remember, that's where he would drive. He would have to like drive into the back of the truck, which all of a sudden, as soon as the car got in the truck, it was like the world's biggest truck like they could walk everywhere in this thing but it's supposedly in the back of a truck
2: okay okay so now that we're now that we're on the shows i know what my next one's gonna be Okay, okay. What's yours? greatest american hero
1: oh love that show look at yeah, what's happened to me, me. i can't believe, I can it, believe it myself, myself. <laughs> suddenly i'm <laughs> on yeah, top phone. of the world <laughs> could have been
2: somebody else I remember remember when that song came out like they did remember that show Solid Gold not to go from one great show to another but I remember the guy who sang that performed that on Solid Gold and I was like I went to head and I went to school my head was still ringing the next morning like whoa whoa, you know just saw that perform live you know and uh anyways, but Grace American Hero was a, a story about a school teacher. Ralph Hinkley who, was his name. Yeah, dude, your memory's like amazing I, for, for it For a kid that was not allowed to watch TV as a son of a Baptist minister, your uh memory is impeccable.
1: Bill sneaking these Bill shows. Bill was the FBI agent.
2: Yes. And he uh he 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 was with Bill doing something, I can't remember what it was, and uh The briefcase was uh, given to them by an alien ship, and it had this this superhero (laughs) costume in it, and they lost the instruction.
1: Yes, that was the premise of the show. We're going to give you a superhero outfit that lets you fly, run fast, go invisible, pretty much do anything a superhero can do, and they lose the instruction manual.
2: So the whole time, the whole show... He's trying to fly and crashing into everything. He's trying to use his superpowers and like blowing the wrong stuff up. He's basically an accidental superhero, and it was such a hot show for its time. He's
1: bulletproof, and it only worked when he wore it, so no one else could wear the suit because they
2: did try on a couple of episodes. You know, people would. Steal it was the, the guy suit. who opened it. Yeah, it was the guy who opened the briefcase, and he opened it, I think, even accidentally. The bill was the FBI agent was the guy who was supposed to open it. And he opens it on accident because they get in a gunfight over it. Remember? No, like see, I don't
1: remember the very first episode.
2: Yeah. So he gets like into a gunfight over it. And um, like, cause he's an FBI agent. The reason he knows about it is it's supposed to be, if I'm remembering, and this is my memory is um, it's kind of like back to the future. The wrong people wanted it type of deal. And so um, there's this kerfuffle and Bill gets knocked unconscious and the other guy opens it, not realizing, and then it bonds to him. It's awesome. I did not know that's how he got stuck with it. Yeah, I could be totally wrong. Ralphie, that's how he, I remember he, it. But he, when you he, watch he, stuff as a kid, you kind of make stuff up if you don't. That's true.
1: I was
2: he like was a seven special ed years old. Teacher. Remember? Because he had his, his uh, class.
1: Wasn't he? Maybe he was a substitute. No, I think I don't think he was a substitute. He was, But he was a special ed. It was like the severe behavioral uh, problem kids. Yeah. In That's right, school. and he
2: wore a tweed jacket, tweed yeah. jacket with leather elbows.
1: Yeah, and it ended up being like, like it was the class every kid wanted to be in because it had all the cool oh, kids.
2: <laughs> And he was the geekiest dude. He had like he was a, a blonde guy with, with a like a, almost like an afro perm. He yeah, had a fro, was awesome. Yeah,
1: there's, there's, there's no other way to put it. He had a fro.
2: He was a white man fro. Yeah, it was awesome. And he was like the least likeliest hero. It would be like Spider-Man if you didn't know what. In the- it's like Spider-Man when he first learned his powers, right? But he had With no whole- mask, so we always had to hide himself because he didn't want anyone to know that he was the superhero. <laughs> and his costume, look, remember when Bugs Bunny became a superhero? He'd eat those, like, super carrots. You had them in the cigarette case. And then uh, he became Super Rabbit. Do you remember that? I do. Yeah, and uh, fricker fracker firecracker shish boom ba bugs bunny bugs bunny rah rah rah. Remember that one? I don't remember that. No. Yeah, so the the horse and the and the cowboy, they becomes he knocks him out and they they get up and they're cheerleaders and that's their, anyways. So uh, the costume looks remarkably, um, even down to the carrot on the chest. The emblem actually looks a lot like Super Rabbit. I kid you not.
1: I would love to see The Greatest American Hero show up on Netflix. I have never looked for it there. But I got a. I bet it's it. her.
2: I bet it's her, man.
1: I don't know because some of those old great shows haven't made it to Netflix.
2: Yeah. So so uh, okay. So what's your next? Let's just do a couple of them, then we'll we'll save yeah, some more. Obviously,
1: for we next. say one, and like both of us go off on it. <laughs> it would be an hour long smack talk instead of. You know the twenty to thirty minutes smack talk we're supposed to be limited to. Um, I don't know. For another one, I'd probably have to look at movies. So we kind of touched on this last time, but Top Gun. I mean, Top Gun is a movie that it's so old now. I mean, what is it like? Forty years? Thirty years? <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Eighty. It was I want to say eighty-five or eighty-six. That yeah, was eighty-six. So it's almost thirty years old, and I mean, I mean. The Jim Balams of the world, Jimbo,
2: he doesn't know what it is. No,
1: he doesn't. I'm just saying. I'm throwing that out. No,
2: it explains a lot about the younger generation, <laughs> though, right? Like most old people are like, it's young generation, what's wrong with them?" We know,
1: right? Yeah, and um, I mean, they that didn't was have great this movie. Uh, obviously, the original Star Wars trilogy. The only ones that exist. Oh, no, you can't
2: take concern. two once. We got to talk about Top Gun for a second. I,
1: I don't know what else there is to say, except that the volleyball scene is the best scene in the movie.
2: I don't remember the volleyball <laughs> scene, but what I can tell uh, what's a volleyball scene? <laughs>
1: Never
2: mind. So, so here's
1: here's you got what. guys right now who have seen the movie who are like, I knew there was something wrong with
2: Pete. I knew there was something, yeah, there's wrong, something wrong, with you. wrong with you. So, so here's the deal. I, I, I saw that with my grandpa and uh, my grandpa was a really cool dude um ex uh officer in the army combat 101st airborne as a matter of fact in world war ii and a really good guy best man i ever knew and um he had become a christian late in life he had gone to this uh methodist thing called uh walk for mace and i wasn't saved yet and i would i think i was like 12 or 13 and uh, i was visiting him my mom would go off to europe in the summer and um, she'd ship me out there, you know, cheap childcare and I'd go stay with him. And I'm like, Hey, can we go see Top Gun? And I was surprised because it was a military movie that he said yes. Cause he was career, you know, he was full Colonel and big, long story. But, um, he took me to see that and the whole movie, you know, to- total, total, fine, everything. And then the, the scene came where the guy and the girl were in the bathroom. I, I just remember my grandpa just sitting there going, The whole time, and I'm like, dang! Like I, you know, I wasn't saved, but I, I didn't even look at it because I'm like, oh man, you know, my grandpa's really bummed out right now. Like, and and my grandpa, just to let you know, um, my grandpa took me to Star Wars. I saw Star Wars five times in the theater when I was a kid, right? Like probably most kids. And I was in '77. I was four years old. And, uh, that movie came out and, um, my, uh, grandpa took me and my brother to see it. And then the very first scene where Darth Vader picks the guy up and cracks his neck okay. and he goes, where's the rebel base? And he goes, I don't know. And then he goes crack, um, and then throws him aside. Uh, my grandpa picked me and my brother up by the hands and goes, right, we're leaving and out he went. And, uh, and, and part of that was our age. Part of it was he was a combat veteran. So I wasn't cool for him to, you know, for him, that's not just entertainment. So, um, we, uh, we, I, I still remember him dragging me out and me looking behind, like trying to see as much as I could from the row of our seat to when he dragged us out through those doors nice. <laughs> and still looking as a door swinging closed. Like, you know, uh, you know, <laughs> a four year old, that was amazing. But, uh, so, so anyway, your last
1: one that we're going to hit on
2: Kung Fu, the show. Oh, okay. Oh, dude. Wasn't that David
1: Carradine or whatever his last
2: name was? Yes, it was. And and, and what was great about that show was he would have these flashbacks. It was way ahead of its time. So, you know, Get Lost, all these shows, you know, uh, uh, Walking Dead, you know, um, uh, what was the other one, Lost, with all the flashbacks. And um, what's the other one, Uh, Breaking Bad did that. But this show had flashbacks. In fact, it may have been the first show to ever do flashbacks. You know, he'd have a flashback every episode. He he was this uh, he was looking for his dad. He was in the American West and he was a Chinese Shaolin monk. And uh, man, like, where? Why don't they make shows like this anymore? Right. Like what an awesome premise. So all throughout it he's wearing like these battered old like farmer clothes, walking around. He's got this satchel over his bag and a walking stick. And and all these cowboys are like, Hey, Chinaman. <laughs> you know, and they're making all these racial slurs and, you know, pushing him around. And 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 as soon as he said these words, you knew it was all about to get real. He go, I do not wish to fight you. <laughs> you know as soon as he said that man it was like you knew it was like it was like Lou Frigno was about to turn into the Incredible Hulk right um because then he'd have, open up a can on him and boom you'd like, show an aerial shot of everybody else laying on the ground but um his flashbacks would go back to the Shaolin Temple where he would he would remember some lesson he learned from the Kung Fu master that would perfectly fit the scenario and tell him what to do that was just such a hot show
1: It was. That was good because I remember watching
2: it. Yeah.
1: I watched those shows on Saturday. That was my day to be able to watch shows like that. It was always on Saturday.
2: And so young people don't know about this. and it's They also don't know
1: about The Black Stallion. That was a great movie. I loved that movie as a kid.
2: Can I tell you something? Can I confess? What? I've never seen that, and I always wanted to.
1: You know, um... (laughs) That's one of the ones I really think you should watch. Now, I, I don't know by today's standards, if you'll have the patience to watch it.
2: I will. No, one's I will. Trust
1: me. No one's shooting, but the premise is the yeah. boy is on a ship. I
2: could tell you the whole story.
1: The <laughs> ship sinks and he finds himself on an Island with the horse, the black stallion, yeah. which was also on the yeah. boat. Yeah. And, um, it ends up, you know, they, they befriend each other. Finally, the boy and the horse and the horse saves him from like a rattlesnake.
2: And, you yep. know, that's when Cobra, yeah. actually a Cobra.
1: Yeah. Oh, was it a Cobra? Okay. Yeah, it could have been. Yeah. That makes more sense. Actually.
2: You that know, I know because yeah, every boy. day that my mom went shopping, this is, this is how bad I want it. There were two movies I never saw and I just saw the other one this year um, and they the had program? the remember. Remember the picture books in Jimco? Remember Jimco? First off, remember Jimco? Sure. Which is the precursor to Target. So we would go through Jimco, and I always tell my mom, hey, I'm going to go in the book section and toy section. So I go look at Star Wars Figs. Then I go through and and, and go to the book section. And they had the Black Stallion picture book and uh, Dragon Slayer
0: Mm. picture
2: book. And both of those movies I want to see so bad, but for whatever reason, we get to them. And in those days, this is pre-VHS, you didn't just go, oh, I'll wait for it to come out. Like, if you missed it, you had to wait, like, five years for it to show up on TV, you know? And cable was just coming out. People were just starting to—HBO was, like, a new thing. And my mom's like, no, that's the devil. So we didn't have that. So um, so that was it, man. So I never saw those. And this year, I watched Dragon Slayer by myself. And uh, But by I could yourself. tell you both stories. Wow. So I, I looked at the book like every weekend for like years, man. Did you have your
1: big boy pants on when you saw Dragon Slayer by yourself?
2: Uh, no, but go on. Talk about it. Come on. We're moving on now. That's another thing that the young generation. Actually, know I don't know that I've seen, seen
1: Dragon Slayer. I, I don't know that I've ever seen that. It
2: was pretty good, dude. I
1: was actually impressed. Was it?
2: But okay. uh, yeah, big boy pants are what Pete and I now call underoos, and you guys don't know about those either, but they, uh, Hot Topic has now released them. Um, so you can get Batman, Captain America and Superman.
1: I dig it, man. Well, now that we're 26 minutes in, uh,
2: great Scott, it's time for this week's topic. (laughs) Dude, that's so good. That was really good. Great
1: Scott. It's time for this week's topic. And before we get to this week's topic, we just like to point out to everyone that this week's episode is brought to you by MoGiv. Where it's a text-based and on online, I can't even think. I'm Are like, you making this up now? What, what is MoGive? All right, it's a text-based and online giving platform built specifically for the needs of new and growing churches. Go to mogivecom forward slash choich
2: to find out more. <laughs> Absolutely, go to them.
1: Yeah. Now. So, so anyway, uh, what is this week's topic again? What you wish you knew when you what got started I out wished planning
2: I'd known when I started church planting.
1: That's actually a really good topic. I mean, yeah, because um, I think, I think so many of our church planters kind of get disillusioned after they get into church planting and they find out, Oh, it's absolutely nothing like what I thought I'd be like, or the stories yeah. of success that I've heard from others.
2: Absolutely. So, the first thing, and you know, I would imagine, Pete, that as an entrepreneur, even though we're talking like two different things, that many of the problems are are typical of startups in general. Obviously, Paul says, "Hey, I, I sowed, I watered, you know, but God alone makes it grow." and i I think for me, um I, i'm gonna I'm gonna kind of cheat on the first one and say that I think most church planners going into it don't realize that. I did because when I went in, I I went in through the back door. I quit ministry and I told God when that thing started up in the Starbucks, um, I don't want to be in ministry. And if you want anything to happen, God, you better do everything. And so, in one sense, I think that it's good for guys who you know to hear that who maybe went in thinking, "Oh, if I just work hard, it'll happen," right? Um, I'll work, you know, my butt off and I'll sow and I'll water and, you know, I'll do all the things that you got to do and I'll sprinkle and then I'll, I'll I'll reap. And, uh, and, and Paul just goes, Hey, it's not like that. You know, yet again, if you reap, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. So hard work, you're going to need a lot of that. But I think that whole idea that I need To be absolutely keeping my eye on the ball, a.k.a. keeping my eye on Jesus, walking with Him, talking to Him daily, praying up about this, saying, Lord, what do you want to do? Holy Spirit, move, praying God into that community. Um, Those were the things for me that uh, I think were the key to success and always have been. But, um, But I think I was brought to that point because I had quit and because I knew I could do nothing when I started.
1: I was talking with a buddy of mine who um, has a sales training business, and he's finally reached a point where they're doing like, um, I mean, last time I talked to him, he he was finally at like a million, million and a half a year uh, range. And this is after, I don't know, 15 years of doing it. And he and I were talking one day and he said, you know, if I would have known how hard it would be to reach this point all those years ago, if I would have known then Uh what I know now, because I never would have done it. (laughs) I think that happens with church planning. Like, yeah, you don't realize just how hard it's going to be. And I mean, it's like however hard you think it's going to be. It's way
2: harder. (laughs) Yeah. And you know, what's funny, Pete, is I tell guys I you've you've heard me train church planners. And the first thing I say is it's going to be the hardest thing. It's going to be hard, uh, blood, sweat, and tears speech. I, I purposefully do that because I want them to know, like, I don't want to sell my bill goods. We can all read the the published stories of the authors who um, they're like, I just did all the stuff and then it blew up and it grew and it was successful. That's not normal. Like praise God that that happened for that dude. That's, that's such a testimony of what the Holy Spirit can do. But, you know, the, there comes in America, and it's, and I would say it is unique to America. Um, the guys in China don't think like this. The guys in Africa don't think like this. A lot of the Europeans don't think like this because in America, bigger is better. And so, always in America, you're thinking, well, if I'm not big, you know, then then it's not good. You know, I need you know eight cylinders on my truck to make it a real truck. You know, and and for uh, guys in America, they're thinking. I need a staff of 50 people, and I need a church of thousands, and I need a radio, and then I'm a testimony. Well, look, if you plan a church and you've got like 80 people, even even 150 people, you are a testimony. You have already bucked the odds. If you last beyond one or two years, you have already broken the trend of church planning. And what I tell guys exactly what your friend said, this would be my second thing, that the number one top uh, quality that you need other than the stuff Paul lists off for leadership in 1st, 2nd Timothy is perseverance. Hmm. And I would imagine it's like that with, um, like you're saying, with your buddy, not only how hard it is, but sometimes you just got to stick stuff out
1: well, you know, it's interesting. I was I was uh, doing a webinar. I think it was last week. I was doing a webinar for a bunch of real estate people, and one of the things we were talking about, obviously, we're talking about marketing, was uh, consistency, and it's the mm. number one fall or, or fault that almost all business owners and especially real estate agents have is that they are not consistent. They will start something and they will quit it. They will, you know, uh, stick their toe in the deep end, so to speak, but they just won't fully engage. And um, I don't know if it's the same with uh, church planning where, you know, the consistency of what it takes to actually be, uh, you know, and I I use the term loosely when I say successful in church planning because I don't mean successful in terms of, uh, you know, monetary gain. Um, at least that shouldn't be what your goal is if you're church planning that that should not be you know the, the how you're gauging success but it's it's that consistency and and that's tough to do i mean i remember um listening to to one guy talk about uh you know the big church launches and he says you know sometimes we'll plan a year to launch our church and then the next service is 7 days away <laughs> you know like you spent all this time planning to start your church and then, okay, well now I got to do it again. Only now I don't have another year. I got seven days. And there's gotta be this, this level of consistency that, um, that you just kick in. But it's, I, I mean, it's a difficult thing to be consistent because it, it, it's work, right? It's thankless, hard work.
2: Yeah. And, and often if, if you're going into church planning as your first rodeo, um, got to help you, number one. But number two, um, there will be a crucifying of the flesh. It will come. I mean, you will find that the Holy Spirit is breaking you. And at times like no one's showing up and you're just going to Jesus and you're, you're, you're talking to him and you're Lord, I want to quit. And the Lord speaks to you and he says stuff like, well, you know, why are you doing this then? You know, are you doing it because you, it's only worthwhile if there's a crowd in front of you, then, um, Did I ask you to attract a crowd? And and so you have to go through these. Um, I would say that that is equally as important as it is what happens to the church plant itself is what happens to the church planter because he is going to set the tone. And so um, if if he goes into it with all these wrong ideas and is trying to to lead a church, one of two things are going to happen. Either he's going to be frustrated, he's going to constantly be bombarding the church, why aren't you bringing people, why aren't you doing this, mm-hmm. or um, he's going to be discouraged and quit. And so the Lord very much, this is why it's so important to walk with God when you're planning a church, is to stay connected to him, is ask him, what do you want, Lord, for this community, and hear from him, and learn to walk with him. And Sorry, I'm getting, uh, starting to get sick here, so I'm, I'm hearing my post-nasal drip come in here, but um, but all that stuff's important. The most important thing, and this goes on to my third thing, is walking with Jesus and just keeping your church plant about him, Not anything else. Go to the seminar sure. Um, you know, uh, you know, it, people go to the seminars and webinars and all that looking for a silver bullet. But um, all these trends, all these fads are gonna come and go. Right now, um, you know, the the, the buzzword um, is multiplication. And so a bunch of guys that haven't multiplied are talking about multiplication. And it's the buzzword and whatever and, you know, cool. But you can do that and you can actually focus on multiplication and not focus on Jesus. And it's just going to go nowhere. And so all these fads come and go. If 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 anything, just keep. Giving people Jesus. And and that's the only thing that's never gonna change in whatever you do. Mm. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm with you on that. So um the other thing is and, and like I said, like I kind of I I, I kind of uh <laughs> These are things I came to because I quit and I was done with ministry. Sometimes when you're not in ministry, you have a, a very unique perspective. This is why I tell guys every once in a while, if you're planning and you're cereal planting, to get out every once in a while, you know? Like if you're going to take a break in between church plants, so you can learn what it is to be a normal human being again. You're not in front of people all the time. You just Joe Blow from Idaho, and you just you just be a dude. And one, one of the things that um, was really helpful for me starting out, that I, w- I didn't know when I started ministry, but it, it, most church planners don't know when they start, is that you don't have to know everything, right? Um, so when you start your your, your church, um, you know, people are coming to you asking you all these things and what about this and what are you, and you're kind of a one-man band in the beginning, but The reality is the way that God set up leadership is that there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers, and you just don't have to know everything that there is. You don't have to be the oracle. And so I learned to say in my first church when I don't know. I don't know what the Holy Spirit's doing. Oh, you know, I never really thought about that. And just to be human uh, from day one with your people, don't try to be the, the great you know mighty church planning leader the the fount of all wisdom and knowledge um if if you're a wise man it will show if you're a knowledgeable person it will show but just more than anything show them what a real dude you are and if if i go back to uh jesus that's how he was right he was god himself but he did not consider equality with god something to be grasped but uh took on the form of a servant jesus the whole point of Philippians 2 is that he lowered it. He became very human, and he became just a dude that was kind of like, "Wow, how can that dude be God?" But I would say in your church plant, just be a human being. You know, don't think you got to know everything. Don't think because you're in a position of spiritual leadership that you have to have all the understanding. Hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah, I like it.
2: Because I'd imagine like probably in the business world, right, Pete, like you, there's the guru thing, right? Like right now we're talking about consulting and coaching. You got to be the guru, right? You, you got to know everything. But in spiritual leadership, because you've got someone over you, right? The head of the CEO of the organization is not you. It's not a human being, right? You have the luxury of being able to say, I don't know, i ask the boss about that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Yeah. All all your, your talk this morning is actually, it's just kind of reminded me of, um, (laughs) of a really interesting way that this kind of triggered off a few different ideas in my head. But one of the conversations I continually have with business owners is, um, branding versus what's called direct response and marketing. And branding is kind of like most of the ads that people see, you know, they look really nice and they're really beautiful and great TV commercials. Um, especially with, with real estate agents, they're so obsessed with like, you know, they want to have these really nice postcards that they put out and brochures and, and stuff like that. And um, they don't work. I mean, frankly, bottom line is they don't work. They're not going to get you more clients, um, but they're dead. Sure. That that's what works. Like, they just know to to their core. Oh, this is what works, and it's the only thing I've ever seen work. You know, and I hear stuff like that, and I'm like, Look, why don't we put a thousand of yours versus a thousand of mine, and we'll just let the numbers decide. We're going to use two different phone numbers, and we're going to see who gets the most calls. I mean, let's let's just let the numbers decide. And everyone's always afraid to do that because when I'm proven right, which I am, frankly, in marketing, um, <laughs> they feel like an idiot because they, you know. They're going down with the ship, so to speak, but uh, so I'm putting on this I've got a point, and I'm gonna bring this back around, so just hold your horses here, so I'm putting on hey, this, I'm the
2: worst defender in that department, so I totally trust you well <laughs> now, but so I'm putting on this event um in
1: April with uh this real estate gal for a bunch of real estate agents, and she emails me and she says. You know, the problem is is uh what they want, what the real estate agents want, is they want, you know, the really beautiful brochures and this, that, and the next. And this that's what we need to give them. And I just simply wrote back to her, I go, well, look, we're the experts. It's our responsibility to tell them what they need to do. And if they don't want to do that, that's on them. But I'm not gonna give them crap, literally crap that I know will not work just because it's what they want. But it's so much easier to sell to someone's ego. And that's what branding is, is we sell to their ego. And we talked about this when it comes to like the church logo and stuff and how important that is to most pastors. And they're like, oh yeah, you know, we got to have this great church name, this great logo, and it's it looks really beautiful and that's what's going to bring people in. Look, if you want to believe that, that's great. But that's so much easier to sell you a logo than to actually sell you on what you need which is how you're going to reach
2: people. How are you going to bring so them in? true? I, you know what? I'm so glad you said that because, um, you know, you, you know, you and I have joked around a bunch because I'm like, I was the guy when we first met. It's like the logo, you know, like, uh, but not for the not for the church, but like for a lot of the other stuff online that we're doing and what have you. But I've always kind of, you know, said to church planners, like I was tr- I was training church planners in San Diego yesterday, and I said to him, I you know, Paul did not roll into Corinth and go, hey, everybody, I got a logo, I got a cool website, and I got a building. And if I just have those things, everybody, it's it's going to happen. And that's how we're seeing church planning marketed today. And guys are running out there, and they're going, logo, check. You know, website cool website, check. Um, building space, rented, check. And then when it doesn't pop, they don't realize, you know, well, what went wrong, man? Like, you know. And the interesting and so, thing
1: is that is so much easier to sell. And what kind of made me think about this is in connection to what you were saying, um, you know, Jesus uh, basically humbling himself, becoming a man. I was tagged in a video by Josh Boyd from Fight Church, and it was uh, the Lutheran satire guys, you know, and it was the oh, the, the cartoon. Guys are great. I know they are. It was the cartoon that you and I have seen on uh, the Trinity, right? And so I was watching it again. It's just a funny, (laughs) funny... St. Patrick, yeah. St. Patrick and the Trinity, right? (laughs) So I was watching it on YouTube, and there was another one on uh, another cartoon that someone else had done on Mormons. And it was an ex-Mormon guy, and he goes, you know, the missionaries that come up to your door, if they actually told you what they really believed, this is what they'd say. (laughs) It's like telling you all this stuff, and you're like, who in their right mind would believe this? And of course, you know, one of the crown jewels is um and god was once a man who just was really good really perfect and he became a god and there's you know millions of other gods and you know that's what we're trying to do we're we're trying to be really good so we can become a god ourselves how much easier though is that to sell than um you kind of got to give up your whole self you got to sacrifice everything and by the way life's going to be rough uh, people are going to hate you uh, you know, in some parts of the world, you'll probably be killed uh, if people find out that you're a Christian. You know, maybe beheaded even. And I mean, you know, compare the two. Like, which one is easier to sell? You can become a god, or life is really going to suck. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like, yeah. Oh my gosh! No wonder you know the Mormons. I mean, granted, you kind of got to. I mean, you got to be half crazy to believe yeah. that. Not to be a Mormon, I, I get that. I'm not saying Mormons are crazy. I'm, their religion yeah. is is false, obviously. Um, well,
2: and absolutely, you know. That's I, why they don't I spring had... that on
1: you at the very beginning, right? You know, and oh, by the way, uh, we're going to baptize the dead, and you know, we're going to teach them the special handshake, and you know, I, I mean, they don't tell you that at the beginning, right? That, it takes you a little while to get in there.
2: The, the, the name of the game for the future of really reaching people. I mean, you can you can see where the, uh, like you said, the stuff that sells. You and I talk about this all the time because you're a marketer and um, you're good at what you do and, and I'm a trainer and I'm good at what I do and I'm not trying to be arrogant, but I I, I think I'm good or I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't waste other guys' time. That, that would actually be arrogance to uh, say, I suck at this and I'm going to train guys and cripple them. But the reality is i I think God's called me to do this, and he's gifted me at it, but we always talk about the fact that we can't uh, actually train guys with the wrong stuff. And we know we'd pull so many yeah. more yeah. people with the wrong message and 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 here's the deal. Is we know it sells like right now, Easter, it's off the chain, right and um, and every I'll say to you, I don't know, Pete, because there is a place for attractional. Um, particularly Easter and and Christmas. These are the times of year where you really want to market, you know, uh, Easter and Christmas, that crowd, because this is the time where people are attracted to church. So enter the conversation they're having. Great. But this is where the the problem is because that's where, you know, uh, during this time of year, people come. My point is that there are certain camps where this is all they talk about. And so once guys go, oh, well, I'm going to let the marketing do all the outreach. I never, that's where we're at right now with the church is marketing is kind of, that's the one-stop shop for everybody. And so um, it, it oughtn't be that way you need, because that is a, a, for at least for the American church, that is a block of ice that's melting. And particularly as we move more and more towards America, I mean, uh, towards Europe, that's the kind of thing that um, it, it just, if that's what you're looking at, this is what constantly I'm hearing people say, like when I went back in Virginia and I spoke at that conference, guys would come up to me afterwards. And, and I think it's becoming a buzzword that they're starting to say, so you're guerrilla church planting. That's what you really are. You're training guys how to guerrilla church plant. And I heard it yesterday again. And so I think there's, there's people are beginning to understand that, wait a second, there's a first century way to reach people, and it's, it's gorilla. you know Kind of like they talk about gorilla marketing. There's gorilla church planning.:
1: Yeah, and I like that. and, and you, you're right. you and I have talked about that a lot, and that's one of the reasons that we don't actually talk a lot about marketing on this podcast, even. I mean, we've talked about it, but certainly in 126 episodes, it, it has not been like a focal point at all.
0: Because
1: no. I the problem that relies with marketing, besides the fact that almost everybody does it wrong, <laughs> they're <laughs> wasting their money, but yeah, yeah, absolutely. besides that, is um without the Holy Spirit, it's pointless, yeah, and yeah, and really, I mean, what what freed me up was a conversation that you and I had when I was like, you know, should we be doing marketing? I mean, this is a church thing? Are we not putting faith in God? And you know, stuff like that. And you and I had this conversation a couple of years ago. And one of the things that you said to me that just stuck out is you said, I believe that God delights when people use their skills for his glory. And that was like my freedom to like, okay, you know what? I am going to use what I know in marketing to help, you know, our church, whatever, because it's what Absolutely. I know. And I want to do it for his glory. But there's a difference there, right? So my mindset is. Not end-all, be-all is marketing. End-all, be-all is the Holy Spirit. And if these marketing things will help us reach more people, you know yeah. what's what's someone's soul worth? Is it yeah. worth the $1,500 that we're going to spend on this mail drop? Absolutely. Yeah. You know, is it worth whatever our budget is this year? Absolutely. I mean, I don't think you – we can't put a price tag on it. I mean, as much money as it costs to save one's soul is worth it. I mean, we're talking Absolutely. about eternity here. So, um, for me, that was my freedom to be able to feel like it's okay for me to talk about marketing and to use marketing with the church, but different than the other guys is for me, it's not the end all be all when it comes to church planning. I'm not all about how to double your church and the next 24 days and, you know, stuff like that, which are just all gimmicky. And most of it is like, we've talked about a million times. It's about reaching the saved. It's not about reaching the lost. And there's a a world of difference between the two.
2: And it's been, it's been fascinating because I'm always sending you stuff. I'm like, Hey Pete, check this out. Or what do you, I'll get your marketing take on it because I'll get these letters and you'll be able to look at them and go, Oh, I know who he's trained by just by looking at, it's like, a, um, and really what you're looking at, I hate to put it this way, but what you're really looking at is you're looking at that guy's marketing of you church planner just be aware of that right he's marketing you and so and no, and just to
1: be fair that's not necessarily yeah. a bad
2: thing right i was just gonna say i was just gonna say because he 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 can truly in his heart of hearts be wanting to help you and he's using marketing as a tool marketing is a tool that's how you ought to think about it but i agree with you what's been fascinating to me is to, to watch you um, kind of look at it and say, well, that's this. And, and you're able to deconstruct it and then to say why this would or would not reach unchurch. And I think because you have that, to me, it reminds me, kind of like when Jesus says, a, scri- uh, a scribe who's, who's been versed in the teachings of the kingdom would be like a man who goes into his treasury, bringing out treasures uh, or goes into a storehouse, bringing out treasures old and new. So, for example, Jesus saying like an Old Testament rabbi or scribe, a guy who knows the Old Testament but understands what Jesus is saying. Well, that's Paul, right? That's what Paul was. That's why he's so rich. And that's exactly with your marketing where you're the son of a Baptist minister. And, I'm, you know, I'm just saying, like, it's been really helpful. And so, you know, one of the things that, um, that I would say to guys is understand marketing as a tool, know when and how to use it. And um, of course, we did a marketing uh, podcast, but um, but just understand that, like what what Pete's saying, that's one thing that I think a lot of guys wished that they had known when they started um, is this idea of uh, it's not the end all be all. I can't just expect to have my logo, my building, and my website, and then a marketing track, and think that you know I'm going to reach a lost. Um, you need to know how to infiltrate. And I'm actually, you know, happy to say that that's the majority of what we talk about, actually, is infiltration and how do you infiltrate a community. Yeah. Yep. So uh, beyond that, one last point, because I know we're at the end, but I want to give the guys one more thing before we get off here, and that is discipleship. Um, now, that's a buzzword right now, and uh, I'm not a big fan of buzzwords, but I can say um, that if you look at both multiplication. If you look at um, the the body, the health of the of the church body. If you look at raising up leadership. Um, if you look at evangelism, um, creating powerful evangelism. It all comes back to discipleship. That's why in the Great Commission, that's hardwired in there. It's actually the method of spreading the kingdom because. Whenever you're, um, you know, sitting week by week in a church service does not equal spiritual maturity. We all know that we've met guys who have sat in churches for 20 years, and they're 20-year-old babies, spiritually speaking. So sitting in a church, the length of time converted does not equate to spiritual maturity. But what Paul did, if you watch him, is he discipled guys who he turned loose, and then he gave them this, you know, if you will, a, a, a process, a formula. Um, a track, whatever you want to call it. And he said, find, and he says this to both both Titus and Timothy in in slightly different wording, but you can see how he operates. He says this, entrust these things to trustworthy men or teach these things to trustworthy men who also are able to teach others. So when I was at my seminar, uh, one of the workshops I taught this weekend was um, I drew a circle. And I put Paul in the middle, and then I drew some of the other guys like Paul, uh, Timothy, Titus, Silas, some of those other guys, and then drew an arrow out um, which had trustworthy people. And so trustworthy people, you will find those are not necessarily leaders, but they're people that are solid. I can just think of so many of them in Refuge Long Beach, other churches I've been a part of, that you you just start focusing on them. And so for the three and a half years that Jesus was on planet Earth. He spent the majority of his time investing in leaders, investing in discipling people, reproducing himself. And Paul, as he gets better at church planning, learns to do this because he wants uh, people that are going to help him in the work he's doing. He wants companions, but he also wants protégés. And he also wants successors. And those three things are accomplished, uh, you know, uh, through discipleship and so I would just say one of the things you know outreach and discipleship it's all hardwired into the Great Commission um, those are the two main things that you ought to be doing besides prayer right but uh, all that's in there too if you hear Jesus go all authority in heaven on earth is given to me therefore there's your authority there's your air support but on the ground make disciples and preach the gospel of the kingdom those two things and if you do uh, those two things, assuming the third thing, which is uh, spiritual power, you'd be on the road, man. Yeah, and I will just say, as
1: someone who uh, gets discipled, um, you know, specifically by you, that's that's easily the most helpful stuff, right? It's not the, the sermons are great on Sunday, but it's when I got a specific question, I'm like, dude, I don't understand this. What does this mean? Um, to me, that's it's such a big deal. Like it helps so immensely because I'm getting a direct answer to the question that I got. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we absolutely need more of that. Absolutely.
2: Yeah. Maybe, maybe next week, Pete, we should do that as our topic is what to do with the new converts, how to disciple them. That, that would be a really good one because um, uh, funny enough, I found myself speaking about that. Um, just yesterday that I was training planners down in San Diego and that question came up and I was like, you know, that, that's, that's something that, and and it was the Q and A and we only had 15 minutes and I could have gone off on that because there's a certain thing I do, uh, when somebody's safe. So, but yeah, you're right. I mean, that, that one-on-one stuff is powerful and, uh, you know, so yeah, man, that's, that's another topic for another day. And, uh, that's, hey. This, we're probably out of time by now, aren't we?
1: Yeah, we're, we're out of time. We're at the end.
2: Well, hey, this has been the Church Planner Podcast. We have been talking about the things I wish I knew when I started. These are things that you can grab onto, and uh, you know they, they will save you a lot of time, uh, a lot of effort, a lot of agony, and a lot of heartache. And um, But ultimately, even if you're the guy who's like, hey, I didn't know this stuff, and I'm Hey, you know what the benefit you have is today is you had Jesus walk through you on those things. If you had that quality of endurance that we talked about, then that means at some point you had to walk with Jesus and you had to let him minister to you because no one in their right mind would stick through the average church plant unless the Lord were with them mm. and talking to him and encouraging them and cheering them on. So uh, keep through it, guys. And uh, this has been... The Church Planner Podcast, reminding you, if you want to reach the ones nobody's reaching, you need to go where nobody's going and do what nobody's doing.
1: Jump school! Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of The Church Planner Podcast with Pete Mitchell and Peyton Jones. We'd love to hear your comments on this episode of The Church Planner Podcast,